You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And first, it's that warm reminder that you can sign up to be a member of The Great Indoors Insiders. Now, as a very well cherished member, you will get to bathe in the glory of knowing that you are supporting the podcast. You're also enjoying ad-free listening. You're getting your hands on juicy bonus content, as well as first dibs on any events that we may be hosting. All of this for less than a pound a week. So become a friend of the show today by visiting thegreatindoorspodcast.com. Now today, we are excited, as always, to bring you our regular style surgery, where we dive into your design dilemmas to help you make the most of your own places and spaces. And as ever, we've tried to cover a range of topics to help as many of you as possible. So let's get stuck in. First up, we're going to help Evelyn, who wants to know what to do about her kitchen layout. I am a big fan of your blogs and the podcast and I feel I should have a better idea of what I want but I feel lost. We are a couple with three very young children. We recently sold our house in Dublin and are moving to a new estate in a country town. We are buying a new build which only has its foundations fitted and won't be ready for a year. I feel a bit overwhelmed about how to lay out my kitchen in the best way possible given that I have carte blanche and will be able to put lights, sockets, doors, kitchen cupboards and TV area completely as I please. Do I want a galley kitchen with a false door leading to the utility? And it will be utility, not a pantry, due to the volume of laundry we get through. Will I have enough space for an island, fridge, freezer, food storage? I do a lot of batch cooking and would like full-length fridges and freezers. Do I want an L-shaped peninsula instead of an island? Then there are issues with the window position and where do I put the TV? Normally, I feel confident in my plans, but I think because I can actually do anything I want, I have a bit of decision paralysis. Thanks a million for the inspiration to date. I'm loving the weekly pod. This is interesting, isn't it? So, you know, you think, great, freedom to do what I want. And then you go, oh, my God. A hundred percent is exactly what I was thinking at the beginning of this problem is like, what is the problem? I mean, this is the dream, isn't it? You can have your electric layout. You can. So having just gone through the process of designing my own kitchen. I was going to say, you've done that. You had the walls and the ceiling, but I mean, it was a complete blank canvas. Yeah, complete blank canvas. So what I'm going to say, Evelyn, is honestly, don't get too panicked about it. This is definitely a winning problem to have and <laughs> and it's also a really important that you get right granular about how you use your kitchen now i use my old kitchen as a really good jumping off point so maybe just take yourself through that process what is it about your existing kitchen that really isn't working for you so for me it was the fact that some of the food was stored in the kitchen some of it was in the utility room pantry and I was like doing it oh that used to annoy me so I knew that in my new kitchen I just wanted one huge pantry cupboard food storage area where everything was in one place that was for me personally. You could also think about the things that you really love in your current kitchen. So one of the things that I loved about my old kitchen was that it was sink, dishwasher, 
cutlery drawer, china drawer, all in a row like that. So you could literally go from loading your dishwasher to unloading it to everything going into the cupboard next door. That for me was the dream. So I wanted to make sure I factored that in again. And then just really think about how do you cook? How do you socialise? Do you have, you know, my husband and I had a bit of a stalemate over bar stools at the island, for example. He really... Oh, he really wanted them, didn't he? He really wanted bar stools at the island. I wanted more storage because I didn't really think people were going to use the bar stools. But it was a non-negotiable thing for Tom. I am going to say on the quiet... He doesn't use them quite as often as I would have liked to have seen, personally. I'm actually just going to put that out there. Oh, it's a little hush-hush. I'm just going to say for <laughs> listeners, Sophie really leaned into the mic then, like she was hush-hush. And that went completely the opposite direction. I thought, I genuinely thought you were going to say, and I didn't want the bar stools, but we sit on them all the time. Uh, well, yeah, so joy's still out for me on that one. Are they really worth foregoing? They make the kitchen look nicer, actually, I have to say. Are they comfortable? They're very comfortable. I did so much. Oh. oh, they are. Because a lot of people complain that their bar stools are not comfortable and that's why they don't want to sit on They're them. They're really comfy, Kate. And I have to say... It was the hardest thing for me to find in my new kitchen was a comfy bar stool. I was like, I'm supposed to be good at this. I'm supposed to know the corridors of the internet, like the back of my hand. I should absolutely know who's selling comfy bar stools that don't cost 1500 quid each, I hasten to add, because my God, I mean, why would you spend over a grand on a bar stool? Then my mind just explodes. But I want to know why you're not sitting on them, because it's a nice view. Someone can yeah, cook, someone it, can be sitting pe- on a bar stool chatting. No, I think the thing is, is Are like, you just not talking to I'm each like, other? <laughs> I think, when I think about it, if people, Tom sits at the dining table. Yeah. He'll take his beer or his glass of wine and he'll go and sit there probably because it's more comfy and actually probably because he doesn't want to talk to me he just needs to decompress after the day he's had Arthur doesn't really use them props you know he's a young kid maybe not so comfy I certainly don't use it because my kids when we put in in the last house we had an island and Mm. we we didn't have an overhang so it was just an island and I ended up we'd bought a couple of stools off eBay and I ended up the just sort of leaving them by the side of the island and everybody sat there for 10 years my kids sat down at that and refused to have meals anywhere else. And they're the same age as Arthur then. They were the same age as Arthur is now. Do you know, I think I might need to restyle my island. Shall I do an experiment? Because at the moment I have really big vases and a lamp on the end of my island because it looks really nice. But I'm wondering whether that's just a visual barrier. People don't want to sit in front of the vases. Oh, the maybe. Maybe if I cleared the island. I'll do as an experiment. Do as an experiment. But I have to say people. in the meantime, we should get back to Evelyn. <laughs> So, but this is it. So, so uh, yes, I'm sure we're not being very helpful, but these are the sorts of things that you do need to think about. How are you going to use the space? Are people going to use these stools that you've just spent three days on the internet looking for? I mean, are they actually going to sit that way? Or are they going to be more likely to go over to the dining table? Then the next piece of advice I'd have for you once you've really drilled down into your own, you know, personal needs is make the use of that kitchen designer Evely. honestly with with whoever you decide to go with I would really make sure you sit down with a kitchen designer and they can map it out for you and also I work with Magna on my kitchen and Jen was just a wealth of knowledge and she had loads of great ideas and she very much took me through this design process so I wouldn't sniff at getting some good 
also free, let's hasten to add, advice from a kitchen designer on how you can best lay out your kitchen. I totally agree with all that, having actually never had a kitchen designer, but I, you know, it's a really good idea. The the thing I was going to go with was sort of expand on that, on that notion of sort of visualisation. So, you know, when are you in the space? What are you doing there? And I think, Evelyn, you're quite sorted already, you know, you know that you like to cook. Therefore, you know that you want a lot of fridge, a lot of freezer. You know you want a good oven. And therefore, I'm assuming you know that you need a decent amount of prep space. So you need to plan that you've got space to roll pastry or or, or cook things and it's not going to be full of the toaster and the kettle and everything else. The one other thing I would say, if it's a big room which can potentially have a a TV and and a dining area and a sitting area, just take note not just where the windows are for furniture placement, but how the light is traveling around the room, because there may be a spot which is, you know, lovely at three o'clock in the afternoon and the sun may come in and, and that might be a really nice spot to sit or to have the dining room table or a stool at the kitchen island. And, you know, don't don't stick a cupboard there or, or sort of block it off in a space that you can't sit and enjoy it. So it's it's as Sophie says, it's very much looking into what are you doing it? When are you doing it? And and making a list. You like to batch cook. Does your partner like to like Sophie's husband, Tom, sit at the table with a glass of wine? Do your kids want to play in there? You've got to sort of make a list of everything that needs to happen in that room before you can start to plan it. And and the other thing everyone says is more more sockets than you thought. Yes. Do you know, I don't I don't have enough sockets and I never thought I'd be saying that. Do you not? You must have a hundred. I've got so many sockets. But do you know what I didn't know I was going to do is I created this really lovely little coffee sort of station in my kitchen, which has a milk frother, a coffee machine and a coffee grinder. So that's three appliances. And I only put a double socket. It's so annoying, Kate. Because that's it. It's the electric. The electrics is is one of the hardest. Because once they're in, yeah, they're a nightmare. No that, I tell yeah. you what, you. Ha- I think you've got this, if I remember rightly, and and I don't. And I think it's a great idea, particularly when your children are a bit older. Is that charging drawer that people do now? Don't they? Ooh, they have a yes, drawer have with a whole one of those. Of I'm a fan. Where you can put phones and iPods and iPads, and actually, it's a good idea if you're trying to take the phones off your kids at night because you can not lock them but put them in that drawer to charge and keep them out of sight out of mind but otherwise you end up with all the available sockets you've got to unplug the coffee machine unplug the toaster you know and and have all the phones sort of littered all over the top and it's not attractive and it's messy so that stick that in maybe in your utility room if there's not room in the actual kitchen but that would that would be a gadget I would have. Yeah, that's a great one. So I hope hopefully that's given you lots of thoughts and ideas. And if you work with a designer, maybe they can help you bring some of those together. But in summary, Evely, it all starts with you and how you live. Right, who's next up? Next up, we have a voice note from Andrea, who wants some help with her entrance hall. Dear Kate and Sophie, first of all, I want to thank you for being such an inspiration. We have been renovating our tiny apartment for two years now. And the only room that we haven't touched is the hallway, also the entryway. The layout works just well, but I'm free in making a decision on how to decorate it because it connects all the other rooms, which are quite colorful and have some patterns. So there are views everywhere we look from this tiny space. And to give you an idea, 
The living room is painted in setting plaster from Farrell and Ball and has a pink mural on one wall. The kitchen has yellow cabinets and lemon wallpaper on the walls. And the bedroom has half paneling, also in setting plaster. And I'm planning to paint another flower wallpaper on the upper side. We would like the hallway to act like a connecting space, supporting the other rooms, but still feeling welcoming and having its own character, like singing its own song. But how to do that without the entire home feeling too much? I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you. I think that's a great question. And and one, you know, we've said before, I'm certainly was banging the drum for the neglected hallway, which is so often a sort of afterthought because it's just a passage, isn't it, to the other places. And it's often filled with bikes and coats and shoes and rubbish and, and people don't stop to think about it. And yet... You know, the the key point about this is that it is, someone's going to say that is exception to the, every rule, but it's basically the first thing you see, stands to reason, it's the entryway. And I love this expression of Andrea's here. I want it to feel welcoming and to sing its own song. What a great expression. So I'm also, I'm, I'm into your colour palette of sort of pinks and yellows and bright colours, but... It's true. How are you going to bring this together? And I I don't want to interrupt Sophie before she's spoken, but I, I feel pretty certain she's going to go wallpaper with all the colours in. Well, I'm just having a look at the photographs. Yeah, so this might surprise you because Andrea sent in some pictures of her hallway and... It's not what you'd envision the typical London terrace hallway. You sort of have a little vestibule where you walk in and then you're quickly turning left and there's big fitted cabinets, which I'm imagining is like a cloakroom, big cupboards, and then there's just doors everywhere. So actually, I think with the amount of doors you've got in your compact hallway and these fitted cupboards, it'd be really tricky to wallpaper because you'd only get little tiny slithers here and there. So I think you're stra- at the moment it's just painted a what looks like a fairly simple off-white. There's lots of swatches of blue paint, Andrew, I've noticed on the wall. So you're obviously having a bit of a blue thought, but you you don't mention that. So maybe you've decided not to run with that colour. Um, I think this is going to be a great colour drenching opportunity. I'm thinking walls, all those cupboards painted in the same colour, doors, architraves and everything like that. And yes, you do need to think about the other palettes that you've got. Now you talk about this mural, it's on a pink, chalky pink background of sort of cranes. It's absolutely amazing big painted mural it's a real showcase which you see through the archway from your hallway so again I think your hallway almost needs to frame what's what the eye sees through the other side so in one room it's the crane mural in the other room into the kitchen it's this lovely lemon wallpaper you describe so therefore again that's why I think a plain color is going to be the best to set off the views through the door so I always think well this goes for any room but especially the hallway is you've also always got to think of the view from the hall through the door into the other spaces because that's kind of what a hallway does isn't it is it's it's a view into into the next room so thinking of a color that will help connect those chalky dirty pinks and lovely soft yellows it may just be a question of playing around with colors but I think Sophie's absolutely right and I think this is key and people don't do it enough in halls there's often a lot of doors and storage and I really think you need to paint the doors and the walls and the woodwork all the same color because otherwise it just looks like a corridor with lots <laughs> of doors off it you get a bit sort of dormitory or institutional don't you so by picking a color and it can be light or dark but just doing it all in the same thing you're going to make that hallway look sort of calmer and more connected and you're also then if the doors are open you're going to be able to frame 
the view into the rooms beyond. And, you know, there's schools of thought here. If your hall is quite dark with no natural light, you can go dark. You've got the doors open. You will then feel drawn into the rooms beyond the dark hallway because they will be light and they will want to sort of draw you in. If dark isn't quite your style and you want to go paler, then the same thing. You could perhaps do the architraves of the door in a darker colour and frame what you're looking at beyond. But I think it shouldn't be difficult to find a colour that's going to go with the sort of pinks and yellows. As Sophie says, perhaps you've gone off the kind of blue idea, but greens can work, a slightly stronger neutral. I mean, you you know, you, you can widen out those colour palettes and still make it feel cohesive but I think it should not be white yeah with the proximity of the rooms I think it's really important that you have a color that blends lovely with the pink and the yellow and actually you've got some really lovely chalky blues on your your wall of swatches which is more of a mid-tone mid-tone stony chalky blue I'm thinking even like is it stone blue by Ball? that's a good one I think that's a nice color it's a nice color isn't it because it's got some strength and depth so it really holds its own space but it would look really pretty with the with the dirty pinks and the soft yellows as well and on a practical note if you're worried about being dark of course you can hang a mirror perhaps opposite one of the doors so it will catch the light from that lighter room and bounce it back into your hall you know you can have wall lights you can do there are tips and tricks for lightening that dark space and it obviously looks amazing when you color drench and do include the ceiling but if you're worried that's too dark you don't have to but again rather than having a white ceiling if you've got more of a color on the walls take perhaps a similar color to the walls and just lighten it so that you've got that kind of tonal thing. But you've you've made a statement. You're singing a song, to use your own words. <laughs> Brilliant. What a lovely question, Andrea. And, um, and good luck. And do send us pics of the reveal when you get it done. Right. Our next question comes from Luke. And he says, my design dilemma is all about knowing where to begin. We have a modest sized cottage, which we are extending in the spring. As part of the extension, much of the existing house will also be renovated, walls knocked down and moved etc with that we will basically have a whole house to decorate and style but I'm not sure how to prepare and organize prior to the build I need to consider bathrooms kitchen lounge utility cloakroom children's bedrooms master bedroom etc etc the whole works but I'm struggling to have the vision for all of these spaces at the minute Do I have a red thread throughout? I'm not sure what that would even be. I want it to be cohesive in terms of flow from room to room, but not restrict us. We have two young children and jobs to manage too. So not sure I have the time to make a lovely Insta-worthy mood board with fabric and paint swatches for each new room. (laughs) Oh, you can. (laughs) Oh, Luke, you cannot resist the mood board. I mean, this this harks back a bit to Evelyn's question, although her problem now seems quite simple in comparison with Luke's because she's just got to plan a whole kitchen from scratch. He's starting with a whole house. I mean, it, it can be overwhelming, can't it? But again, I think, Luke, if you stop for a minute, and I appreciate you're busy with children and work and everything else, but... You you will know some colour you like or something that you've seen that starts. I mean, there's 
as different schools of thought about which room you want to start in. I have always said and stick by start in the bathroom so you've got somewhere to go and have a cry when the builders are in and you've got a locked door. But you might want to start your vision off with the sitting room, which is a room you perhaps use the most or the kitchen, the hub of the home. And also the idea of the red thread. Now, interesting. Do I have a red thread? I have always felt. And Sophie, I'd be interested to see if you agree with me. I mean, clearly you won't, but let's see. The red thread I always feel is something that that begins quite organically. I don't know if you would say this is my red thread and I'm going to, you know, incorporate it. Maybe it's a starting point. Where would you start? You've just done your whole house, although you didn't really have a complete blank canvas, did you? No, I didn't. But what I would say to Luke and anybody else, you know, it's not that dissimilar to all of us who are designing our homes. I mean, he's in a, in a space where the whole house is going to get smashed to smithereens. He's got to do the whole thing. And I get it. It's overwhelming. But anybody who's going on the journey of making a house a home is taking one room at, the t- at a time. And you might do it all at once or you might do it over a period of years. But essentially, what your home is, is going to be telling the story of you and your family. And I'd urge you to dig into that. I see people getting far too concerned about what's the paint colour going to be? What's the kitchen layout going to be? What sofa am I going to buy? And these are all important micro decisions. But actually, you've really got to take the time to look at the bigger picture here. And now is the time to do it. You know, before it's all started, it's brilliant you've reached out to us at this point rather than when the builders are in and they're nagging you for what paint colour you're going to specify because they put the decorators in next week. So I'd really encourage you and the other people in your family to really think about this now and enjoy this creative process. I mean, I hear what you're saying, oh, I haven't got time to do a mood board. But look, (laughs) it can be the most creative, enjoyable, soul-searching, life-affirming journeys that you go on, discovering what your authentic sense of style and love of decor and design is. And it can be going out and getting inspired, everything from seeing art galleries, shows, flicking through wallpaper books, going to some country houses. I mean, you say you've got a country cottage, which is already giving me an inkling into the kind of styles that you might be drawn towards because you've chosen a particular style of house in the countryside. Um, So are you going to want to run with that and have country florals and rustic textures and traditional design motifs? Or are you actually like, no, we like a country cottage, but we actually really like modern minimalism. So spend the time to really, really drill down what you love and yes Luke do a blooming mood board for me won't you (laughs) whether you're starting off on Pinterest or creating a vision board that's what I teach on my online design school is to help people create visual reference points because pictures are so much more powerful than words Kate Watson Smythe would love to disagree with me on this one but it's true It is proven that looking at images has a much stronger impact on us and communicating with other people than anything written down ever will. So get your bank of images together. And she's chomping at the bin to jump in. I'm just going to keep talking so that... uh... I'm not going to disagree. No, what I was going to say, what I was going to say was... You know, you don't necessarily have to feel like it's a, a chore. Clearly, Sophie can think of nothing nicer than spending an evening making mood boards. You might feel that that's another job on the list of jobs. So I think the thing is just kind of be slightly receptive as you're walking around. If you clock a picture, you know, on your commute on an advertising billboard or you're flicking through a magazine and you take a you see a picture, rather than just going, oh, that's nice and flicking past... Just try and have your brain in that place where you're you're just taking another few seconds to go, oh, that's really nice. 
Why is that nice? Why do I like that? Is that something that might work so that you're you're constantly sort of absorbing that information? And then when you do find the time to sit and do your mood board, you'll have had lots of things sort of bubbling away underneath that you won't even realise. So it's a it, you, you've got to sort of have your brain in the right place, haven't you? And be receptive to all the inspiration that is around you and working out, you know, oh, I really like that green. Does it make me feel happy? Does it make me feel relaxed? Do I want to talk to the view outside my country cottage? So it's you've got to, you've got to get in the right brain space to start this, I think. That would be my starting point. Yeah, it's a design process. None of these decisions get made in a random order. There is a start, a middle and an end to designing any project. And shameless plug, but two of your favourite podcasters, one of them's got an online design school, courses.sophierobinson.co.uk, with all the courses that will take you through this process. And then you've got a best-selling author, Kate watson Smythe. I believe you've written a few books. Done one or two. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my biggest piece of advice, Luke, and for any of our big renovators out there, is take the time to plan it effectively and then you won't make any mistakes later down the line. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Right, Kate, who have we got next? Next up, we have a question from Jane in the Northwest. And while her question, which is a voice note, is about how to decorate her period property. She also says, which I think speaks to many of us, she's neither a maximalist nor a minimalist. And I think even, Sophie, if you would disagree with that, I think that's where a lot of people sit, isn't it? Mm. You know, neither one thing nor the other, bit of this, bit of that. So let's hear from Jane. Hi, Sophie and Kate. My name is Jane. I live in a lovely 1770s Georgian home. Lovely old stone building. It's got a beautiful hallway when we moved in, we just painted it pale grey. But I'm really struggling with how to dress it. We will clear off all of the old wallpaper and repaint at some point. But we have problems really thinking about the radiator. I actually don't think it's it's central on that wall. Where to sit, to put our shoes on, how to dress it. I'm just struggling really. I uh, would love your help. I've sent you some videos and some pictures And I would really love some style advice. My style is not maximalist and it's not minimalist. I love a country look. I love quirkiness. I'd love to make the absolute most of the beautiful features we've got, which is wood panelling, the original front door, some beams, and just really make those wooden features and the doors really stand out with a lovely plain, probably, coloured background. But any advice and help I would really be grateful for. Thank you. Bye. I think what's brilliant about this question is Jane says she's not a maximalist or a minimalist. She's a Georgian. I think she's got the perfect home. Gorgeous Georgian. And I think this kind of, it's interesting that you've chosen a Georgian home and you love it because I think this is a period style which falls perfectly into, in between its maximalist Victorian cousin on one side and then anything that minimal has come ahead more recently afterwards. So I think the fact that you've got a Georgian home, Jane, is doing all the heavy lifting for you. And you've sent some pictures. It's a classic hallway, lovely, big, generous proportion, flagstone floor, beautiful original staircase. I mean, you're just winning, aren't you? Literally. So it really is 
those elements, how you style it and make it feel a bit more homely, I suppose, and put a sense of your style on it. You worry about a radiator not being central. Part of me thinks, don't worry about that. Period homes, nothing central. Would you agree, Kate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you've just got to, you know, it's a massive faff to move radiators. And I know because I've just done them all. So, you know, unless it's really killing you, you know, I think sometimes we have, particularly in period properties, you can have sort of quirky architectural details which you have to kind of own them. So, you know, we had in our last Victorian house, none of the fireplaces were central and we didn't notice it for about two years. And then one day we went, oh my God, that's really annoying. Um, But, you know, you have to kind of, you've you've just got to roll with that because that's the joy of the house. So the radiator's not central, you know, hang a picture over it, make a point about the fact that that's, you know, a view you've got. The other thing about Georgian houses, which is wonderful, is that they're friends with every style of decor. They tend to have high ceilings. They've probably got some plaster work. They've got generous rooms, big doorways, you know, and against that sort of ornate plaster work, if you've still got it, you can sit that sort of clean mid-century minimal furniture because the plaster work and the background will do all the hard work but equally you can go more full on with colour and pattern because it talks to the ornate plaster work and maybe that's where your problem is that you can you can do all of it I mean it's a joy I'd love a Georgian house yeah we'd love to have your problem basically is what we're saying <laughs> isn't it <laughs> I agree at the moment that the hallway feels quite stark and bare I, it's crazy you've got a nice mirror on there but I'm craving to see some artwork on the walls I think you really need to have some magnificent paintings in your hallway to add um, other layers of colour you talk about wanting somewhere to sit and put shoes on and things and there's a wooden bench in there right now I'm thinking why wouldn't you put a lovely upholstered bench in there um, in a gorgeous fabric it could be a pattern fabric it could have some colour coming through it there's no rugs on the floor so I'd roll one of those down maybe a nice killing rug which would look really lovely on the flags and be quite easy to uh, to maintain. So I think you've just got to think about layering the colour and the textures and the accessories. So art, rugs, upholstery, you're good to go. That's what I'd do. It's it's a building mm. process, isn't it? That's what you're saying is effectively is, you know, and, and we've talked a lot about, you know, finding a colour palette you like. So you you know how to do that now. But from there building it up, as Sophie says, in layers. And, you know, you'll, you'll get to the point where you know enough is enough. Yeah, because you say you, you don't want to take away from the um, the lovely period details. So I just choose lovely period pieces, you know, period artwork, vintage rugs, a lovely slubby printed linen, upholstered bench. Oh, just gorgeous I dream of a hallway big enough to put furniture in <laughs> yeah or, or, and a demi-loon table always looks nice in a Georgian hallway as well I always think that's a half moon for those of you who haven't gone all posh and fresh like Sophie <laughs> <laughs> gorgeous and now we have a follow-up question from Jen in Boston Massachusetts whose living room we helped with a couple of months ago for those of you who remember now she color drenched her sitting room and now that it's all done she wants to know about dressing the walls i wanted to thank you both so much for taking my question on air what a thrill i loved your advice and found it so helpful good to know jen now that the painting project in my house has been completed i'm looking at lots of bare walls and i'm not really sure where to start when it comes to artwork so i'd love your thoughts i do have a few pieces i've collected over the years but since we've 
tripled our square footage with this new house, we have a lot more wall space to dress up. Are there measurement guidelines that would be helpful to know? Where do I find affordable art? Any tips on this topic would be so helpful. She needs to buy that book, doesn't she? By Rachel Lewis, The Art for Your Walls, which we reviewed on the other, the other week on the podcast. That's the book for you. Good starting point. But have you yeah. got any general tips, Kate? I mean, you love collecting art. What do you think? I mean, first of all, I'm going to kick off by saying take your time there's no rush I think a lot of mistakes get made with artwork if you rush out and try and buy everything at once I mean there are interior designers and art buyers who will do it for you if you've got the budget to do that I mean people will help you curate an art collection ready to go but for the most of us we're collecting our art slowly over time so it helps to get your eye in and start to decide what kind of artwork you like to collect well and you say Jen that you know you've got pieces collected over the years so so you know perfect that's a starting point and I think rather than panicking about having lots of bare walls again this is a podcast about nice problems to have rather than panicking about having too many walls to dress up you know as Sophie says take your time don't feel pressured into filling them just because they're bare. I mean, after all, you know, your last question into us was was all about what colour to choose. So I'm guessing you just love looking at that colour on the walls. You know, you don't need to hide it. There are a few sort of, I don't want to call them rules, but there are sort of guidelines about hanging, which come from various gallerists to make the most of your art. And one of the most common problems is that people hang small pictures too high, I think, because they're worried that people are going to knock them or, you know, they'll get dirty or fingerprints or whatever. So I think bring it a bit lower. A rule of thumb is that you want the middle of the painting to be sort of eye height. And obviously everybody's different heights, but, you know, you can make it, you know, within a few centimetres or inches if you're in America, you can work out what a comfortable position on the wall is so that you can see it. You know, you want to know what that picture is. If you're hanging stuff over a sofa, over the back of the sofa... My general rule of thumb would be about sort of 30 centimetres above the back of the sofa. So it's not going to get hit by your head, but it still has a relationship with the sofa and it's not sort of floating about in the distance. The exception to that, and this perhaps isn't your problem, but if you've got a small room or a cluttered room, it can be nice to aim for portrait pictures because that that's tall and thin and that can take the eye up. You can hang those a bit higher to where, if you like, there's a bit more space. You know, if you've got a lot of rugs and furniture and clutter on the floor, then take the eye up with the art a bit so that you're going, you're taking the eye up into the space where it's less busy. Now, I'm aware that's the practicals of hanging it, not about where you get it from. Sophie's friends with all the artists, she'll tell you that. When it comes to buying affordable art, I started off uh, when I wanted lots of art for my home, actually going to flea markets, secondhand shop, car boot sales, auctions. I actually still do that. You can get some really amazing, especially if you like the more traditional art, some really amazing oil paintings. I've got a beautiful, beautiful vase of uh, dahlias in my bathroom that I got for under £100. And the frame alone is gorgeous from Ardingly Antiques Fair. So that's really good if you like quite traditional art. Then moving on up, obviously, there are so many places online now for framed posters and you can choose the size you can choose the different frame you want to go with it so there's so too many websites to mention that it can actually be too overwhelming and I only ever go to those sorts of websites when I'm quite clear on the artist or the style of artwork that I want and then finally which is really fun to do which I've done more recently is to buy art from 
you know, small art shows where up and coming artists show their artwork. So, you know, you're not quite into the kind of six digit art world, (laughs) which I don't know whether I'm ever going to get there. But if you want to invest in a special piece, sometimes it's nice to just have one really large painting on a wall rather than lots and lots of little itty bitty paintings. And if you've got a special birthday or an event coming up and you feel like splashing out, I would always recommend buying an original piece of artwork or photography it really elevates a room and makes your home feel even more special and there's another way that I've seen people do it to great effect sometimes with modern artists I'm thinking in particular of David Trigley who is very prolific but sometimes museum shops and art gallery shops might do postcards by a certain artist now one postcard on its own not so much but you could buy a set of eight postcards and frame them and create a mini gallery wall or you can also do which I've done the old designer tea towel and frame that I and you don't I think you can think a bit more laterally about things on your walls I've got I splashed out in the pandemic and bought a silk scarf by Grayson Perry which we haven't yet framed but the we will be framing that and putting that on a wall so you know it doesn't doesn't just have to be paper in frames that you hang on your wall is I think is the the point to make there you know when I went to Marrakesh I went to the Marjorelle Gardens and I bought a set of postcards Yves Saint Laurent postcards little handwritten and I was like oh I'm going to buy nine and I'm going to get them framed framed in a grid of nine and yeah they're sat in a paper bag somewhere in a drawer so what we're saying is if you have any of these lovely creative ideas just get them to the framers don't leave them in the drawer like Kate and I it's a missed opportunity so we've got time for one last question and it's last but by no means least it comes from our in one of our insiders Alicia and she writes to us saying Alicia here from foggy San Francisco, California. I just completed my first remodel. Somehow the whole thing went fairly smoothly and now I actually have some budget left to spend on curtains. (laughs) We don't hear this sort of problem very often. I am mostly having trouble deciding whether I want to go for light or dark with the curtains in my living room. We just repainted it in Farron Ball's Parma Grey with accents in Stiffkey Blue and I love how the blue looks in our west-facing room. We have a warm mustard gold sofa that makes a bit of a statement but otherwise nothing is too flashy. Part of me thinks that going with a chocolate brown, I'm looking at you Kate, could be nice against the blue walls (laughs) and a good compliment to the warmth of the sofa but I'm not sure if I want to go that dark and if I should keep it light. The dining room is in the same line of sight, so we'll also want that window to have the same colour curtains as the living rooms. And then she finishes off by saying thanks so much for your help and the podcast has heavily influenced her whole remodel. So Alicia sent in some pictures. I'm just having a look. It is so lovely. So this Parma grey colour from Farron Ball is quite blue, isn't it? It's quite a pale grey blue. Yeah, I mean, when she says the blue with the with the blue accents, that's all it's in really a tonal nice. palette. It's warm, isn't it? Yeah, and lovely, rich mustard yellow sofa. So really, really gorgeous colour palette. And a massive window, I have to say. It's really big, so the room isn't suffering from lacking light. And then there's a nice sort of oak parquet floor. So we've got a really nice colour palette here. Um, there's not an awful lot of pattern, I notice. Um, there's sort of like a textured rug and sort of Moroccan style cushions, which are more textured rather than patterns. So I'm guessing Alicia would be looking for a plain fabric at her curtains or something quite textured I think is the way to go actually to marry in with the lovely textures you've got on your rug and your cushions and you say no pattern and but you can do that thing which I think I made you do in your last bedroom where you can have a plain curtain and edge it 
in another colour. Mm. Or, I mean, you did a pom-pom, didn't you? So you can bring in, you don't have to go sort of scary, full-on pattern, but you can just bring in another texture or a bit more detail. Well, I, see, I don't I don't think Alicia's a pom-pom girl. No, but she I might not she be, might, but a braid. I think she might like a tassel. I think a tassel could look really good. And, um, yeah, if you went for a lovely heavy linen fabric on the curtain, for example, then a nice, big, giant tassel all the way down the leading edge. That could look gorgeous. I mean, the question she started off with was, does she want a light light curtain or a dark curtain? I mean, I think that's a difficult one to answer when we're, you know, not only not with Alicia, but we're not in San Francisco either and and knowing how the light goes. Well, you've just got to know that the the, the different effects it's going to take, really. I think the room, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I think a really dark, deep chocolate colour would absolutely go with the dark woods that you've got in this space. You've got a couple of chocolate brown cushions, so I think that could look lovely but it will make the room feel cosier, darker and more snug Um, and it will help block out quite bright light that I'm seeing through your big windows. If you went for more of the cream accrue colour, which again, you've got lots of those sorts of textures on your cushions and your poof and everything in the living room, so that could be nice, but it will make the the room feel lighter and brighter and consequently a bit more invigorating and uplifting. So I just ask yourself, Alicia, is this somewhere to hunker down and feel a bit more cosy and maybe block out all that amazing San Francisco sunlight? She was complaining at the top, hello from foggy California. I'm in my heart, please. You know, the sun shines all the time, but you've got a bit of fog, you know. Sorry to hear that, Alicia. But you're right. I mean, Sophie brings us back to that point, which you can never get away from. You've got to ask yourself the questions. What are you doing in there and when are you doing it? So are you hunkering down in the evening to watch TV? Is it your home office? Are you in there in the daytime and want to welcome in that light? Ask yourself those questions and that will then bring you to where you need to be for the curtains. So do get in touch with your design dilemmas. We do love to hear from you. Simply send us an email or preferably a voice note to help at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. Now, before we go, I'll just remind you once more about our Great Indoors Insiders Club for ad-free listening, bonus content and first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com to sign up. And if you haven't already signed up, we are hosting a webinar tonight. That's the 9th of November. So sign up and come along if you fancy. And if you miss it, we will be sending out a link for you to watch back. And we'll be back next week. So until then, all that remains is to thank our producer, Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you all in the great indoors.